One night, 1945, Germans found themselves under attack. The SS headquarters had been shot up. The Gestapo building was burning down. And their enemy, a single Canadian. Welcome to Chaos Effect. I'm your host, McLean. And with me, once again... Hello, it is me, Tyler. The guy who wishes he could be Canadian. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Tyler, how are we doing today? I'm vibing, having a good time. I'm Tell me, for this. what do you think about when you think Canada and World War II? Um, see, I know most people were just like, Canada was in World War II, but I, in my head, I know these do like Canadians are badass motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah, Canadians are weird where it's like we think of them as the nicest people in the world. Not but possible also, in a war, they're, they'll, they'll screw shit up. <laughs> yeah, because, like, several of them are war heroes. Uh, what's his name? Scotty from Star Trek served in, like, the Canadian Air Force and flew a plane between two fence posts or something crazy like that to prove he could. And uh, I think the sniper shot, longest shot world record was broken by a Canadian sniper, and then his spotter broke that record. Damn. So I think it's like they, they aren't angry all the time because they just get it out in a war every once in a while. Honestly, it's like the purge. <laughs> yeah. But I know, just, I know we're talking about a World War II Canadian, but even in World War I, the Canadians are an underrated powerhouse. We just get our anger out in the slaughter or two, don't you know? <laughs> Let's kind of shoot some Germans, eh? Uh, there goes our Canadian listener. Our single Canadian listener. No, no, we love you. Please, <laughs> please help us our citizenship test. Listen, we're we're sitting here, we're praising your people. You guys deserve more respect. Um, yeah. Um, are you familiar with Leo Majors at all? Very vaguely. Okay. I, I, I read a Wikipedia <laughs> in preparation for this episode. All right. It's like, hey, I'm doing this dude, and he's like a World War II Canadian. I'm like, hell yeah, I love World War II Canadians. So I read up on him, and he's like, this sounds, this dude sounds lit. He's going to be but, one of the many badass non-Americans we talk about on this podcast. Because I feel like you Americans in World War II are really easy to find because like mm. we documented our side so well. Dude, I am sick. Like, I'm sick of Americans in World War II. I, I can't do it anymore. It's yeah. too much. <laughs> or I'm at least sick of just like European Fran- France front. A movie came out recently called The Liberator, which actually does like a really good job ca- capturing the Italian front. um yeah or at least the first half of it's about the italian front and it's really good they do a really interesting style for so i'm good it's so oversaturated in media that it's just like i i've seen it enough i've seen enough i'm glad we're talking about someone different yeah so let's talk about a guy who should have a major the most decorated Canadian that comes to mind is Leo Majors he was born on January 23rd his birthday is pat is close to mine and just passed by um 1921 in massachusetts so he was born in last massachusetts to two french canadians um now like most people in the 1900s uh his family were pretty much broke his father was a drunk that probably beat the shit out of leo and his mother and screwed up so bad they had to return to montreal to live with family where leo would live on a farm with his aunt and he kind of wasn't a big fan of farm work. So like the first opportunity he took, he joined the army when the war started. 
Now, over the first few years of the war, Leo would gain a reputation as a great scout, you know, being accredited to having amazing feats of stealth before Normandy. So by the time Normandy happened, he was already a scout and a soldier. And he accredited most of the success that he had to his sneakers. Oh. He claimed they made they made him stealthier than his heavy combat boots did. I feel that. So he participated in the D-Day landing with the other Canadian forces, which despite us only knowing about Normandy, there wasn't exactly an easy beach to land on that day. Uh, <clears throat> his first notable success was when he captured a German half-track containing information such as maps and radios. He did this by himself um, with a bolt-action rifle. There was four Germans on board. Oh, and he couldn't speak German. I feel like that's something important to mention. Um, <laughs> so not knowing how to operate German weapons or equipment, he basically made the, again, not being able to speak German either, made the German crew drive the half-tack towards the British Commonwealth lines um, because Canadians were considered part of the Commonwealth serving under the British Army at this time. Uh, on his way going back to the British lines, he would start to fall under attack by his own uh, artillery firing at him. Uh, now, like a rational person, instead of getting out and trying to retreat or abandoning and just grabbing what he could, he instead stood on top of the half-track while it was moving and waved his arms telling the Germans, don't worry, the British and Canadian drivers stink at aiming. Um, so what do you think of this guy's rational decision to do that? Honestly, I respect it. Yeah. That's a, ball that's a ballsy move, but it, like that's, that's the kind of stuff that like you don't expect people to do, but when it happens, it's like, it's so crazy that it works. Yeah. So he did finally get behind the lines after dodging artillery shells. And then when the officer who was in charge of the Zed tank guns that almost turned him into pulp uh, asked him to hand over the tank, he said he was only going to hand it over to a French-Canadian commander, even though technically that guy was his commander, but also he just shot at him. So I get it. Um, so he did hand it over, and this was one of his first really notable successes. And he would do this over and over again where he'd capture groups of Germans and bring them back by himself and again, he couldn't, I can't emphasize this enough, he couldn't speak German. Um, oh, and he was only a private. Like, the highest he ever gets promoted during World War II is corporal, I believe. Um, now, however, he wouldn't go on these uh, patrols and stealth missions by himself for too long successfully. On one night, he would be sneaking through enemy lines when he'd come across a German SS unit. He killed most of them. However, one dropped a phosphorus grenade uh, while he was bleeding out. This led to the Nazi to, uh, sorry, not the Nazis, this led to Leo to. Uh, lose his eye when it burnt, was burned out of the socket by the phosphorus grenade. Oh no! Now they could, if he had gone back to Canada, they could have done like reconstructive surgery, 
He just instead chose to slap on an eye patch, make pirate jokes, and say, basically, I'm a better sniper now because I only need one eye. Okay, based as hell. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't know about you, but I would be like, yeah, I'm going home now. See you guys. Win the war. Good luck. This guy's like... I don't get squeamish much, but eye stuff really gets me. So if something happened like that, I would have, like, lost my shit. <laughs> but he's just like, nah, it's whatever. No, this guy's like, arg, look at me, I'm a pirate. Dur, dur, dur. <laughs> and also now becoming a sniper, just, like, shooting people even better. I strive to like, have that energy. I did forget my favorite part about the, his unit's uh, crest was a golden beaver with two crossed Vickers machine guns. It did. <laughs> I should open with that. Man. Um, oh, slowly becoming my favorite. <laughs> so now pirate, Leo, pirate sniper Leo Majors once again found himself on patrol when he was looking for a group of zombies. Um, for our listeners zombies are essentially conscript it's slang for like conscripts or kind of shit bags um zombies were like kind of people who were conscripted and kind of sucked at being soldiers a few of them had gone missing um so he was looking for them and he never ended up finding them they were probably either captured and taken behind lines or they were all killed and gone missing but it was raining that night and it was also cold because it's europe he was so cold and so wet that he basically decided, I'm going to kill some Nazis tonight. The mood. <laughs> you know what? I get that, though. Have you ever been, like, cold and wet? And, I, and you just want to kill some Nazis? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just thinking about Han Solo cutting over the Tauntaun. He's like, I thought they smelled bad. <laughs> On the, on the outside. <laughs> Leo Major's wearing Nazis like a tauntaun. <laughs> yeah. Is that Hans? Oh, dear God. <laughs> um, so while he was do- in this mood, he uh, came across a platoon of 93 Germans who were all sleeping. Um, which, like, you know, nobody was on guard. They were just all sleeping. He basically walked up to the officer um and said hey you're gonna have all your guys surrender and that officer was like i don't speak canadian but okay <laughs> i don't speak canadian uh, i mean honestly like if if like you got nobody on guard then like you deserve it i feel like they were kind of like we don't care if we get captured you're asking for it dude yeah That's so <laughs> three uh guys decided it's one guy with a bolt action rifle we can take him he shot those three guys right away as soon as they went for their weapons. Uh, so now the remaining 90 prisoners went with him. So, yeah, that sounds impressive enough, right? Yeah, it's pretty cool. So once again, though, Leo would begin to get attacked by SS. This is where he would begin fighting back. Because uh, I think they... The, I'm assuming the SS, one, they didn't want people to be surrendering, so they would kill, like, surrendering Germans. Two, I think they just assumed there had to be more than one Canadian guy with the, the troops who were surrendering. So they began opening fire on them. So 
Leo Majors, the only one with a gun, is now trying to make sure his prisoners don't run away while shooting at the SS. And eventually just a random Sherman tank rolled up and said, what do you need? And Leo said, would you kindly silence those guns for me? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, like, do you realize how badass this guy is? Yeah. Like, honestly, uh, he's just, he's reminding me of, like, all the inglorious bastards just as one dude <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> just like I mean, especially, especially when you're like yeah he doesn't speak german i'm just i just i just imagine fucking aldo rain just like grazie <laughs> he's trying to pretend to be italian yep like- um so this then brings me to his next uh the next part of the leo major story where uh now uh so in this after that successful mission he was on on uh, he was honored with the distinguished service medal which is like a step below the victorian cross which is like the highest honor in like the english military uh he however refused this because he fucking hated field marshal montgomery uh, he basically like kind of said like Mon- he hated the fact Montgomery put civilians in danger and got a lot of Commonwealth troops killed, which I get it. That's fair. Yeah, like I don't know what your thoughts on our Field Marshal Montgomery, but I kind of think he's not the best general. Yeah, I feel like that's very valid criticism. I mean, just like a quick side note on how good Montgomery was as a general. One time a German general said, oh, thank God it's Montgomery or we'd actually have to worry if it was somebody else. Nice. Um, so once again, uh, he'd find himself on, an, on the, another offensive and uh, this time he was riding in a Bryn carrier that had been recovering dead bodies. However, the Bryn carrier ran over a landmine, meant an anti-tank landmine. Now, Tyler, what do you know about Bryn carriers? Nothing. So you know what an APC is, right? Um, I I do. I now imagine that, but even smaller. Oh. <laughs> Just look it up real quick for me. How do you spell that? You know what? I'll look it up and share screen. So Bren carriers, for those who don't know, were meant to be kind of a machine gun movier. Um, and they came from the idea of when they originally were trying to think about light tank warfare. Um, and the idea was that you would be moving. Yeah, I don't know if you see them now, but yeah. Oh, all right, all right. I've seen. Yep, them. they're pretty small, right? Yeah. So a mine meant to take out something like a Churchill or a Sherman had taken out one of those. So this is the end of the Leo Major story, right? Okay, episode over is a short one, guys. Thanks, right? Have a good night, everyone. Yeah. He had actually just been yeeted like a mile away, like he was a member of fucking Team Rocket. Um, <laughs> everybody pretty much assumed he was dead. I was like, oh shit, Leo's dead. Somebody find his sneakers. <laughs> oh my God. Um, yeah, he had broken both his ankles, several ribs, and th- his back in three places. Yikes. War's over for Leo, right? Of course not. He's too 
He's too epic to be left. <laughs> nope. Instead, he goes to a Belgian hospital for like a few weeks, then leaves and continues fighting. Even though he did admit he was still in a lot of pain while he was in this. Like he could have gone home probably with these. In- like after getting shot, in- or not shot in the eye, his eye burned out. He could have gone home. But like this especially, he definitely could have gone home. So now we come to his probably most famous exploit in the war. Um, so one, so while the, uh, British were advancing into Holland or, you know, where the Dutch are and the Dutch resistance, uh, a lot of times they would just bomb towns ahead of time, but Leo was against this. So him and his friend, Willie all arsenal decided to scout ahead to check on out if there were Germans in the town before it got bombarded to make sure civilians didn't get killed. Um, and while doing this, they were patrolling a town closely when suddenly uh, Willie Arsenal, Leo's friend who went with him, and Willie would participate was like if Leo wasn't just doing stuff by himself, would often be patrolling with him. So they were close friends. Um, I mean, I kind of respect Willie because like for Leo's crazier exploits, he didn't go with him which I can imagine it's like Leo's like, hey, do you want to go capture a platoon of Germans by yourself? Oh. Leo, I can't. I, you're going to get me killed. I can't. Um, right. So while they were going to scout out this town, Willie was shot by a German machine gun nest. In a fit of rage, Leo snuck up and instantly killed all three Germans in the nest. And kind of decided he was going to go big or go home. So he took his, he took Willie's gun and his gun and another gun he'd taken from the Germans. He then came across a German officer driving with his driver. He then held the, both, them both at gunpoint, made them drive to a hospital where he then sold the uh, officer to go surrender to the town. So the officer ran into the town, then ran away, which made Leo decide... So I'm going to have to capture this town by myself, like a rational person does. Like, Tyler, if you were in Leo's situation, you'd definitely capture that town by yourself, right? Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd just go for it. Like, yeah. What else What else do you got to lose? You've already, And, like, given the luck that you've already had on your side already, I'm like, you might as well try. Yeah. I also do say, he says the reason Willie died is because his kit made too much noise. So... He says that's the reason they didn't get him because they were also keep like doing space discipline, making sure they were pretty far apart. So Leo now with his three guns ran into town and would begin a campaign of essentially. So Leo would like begin shooting and he wouldn't stay in one place. So he'd switch between his three guns. So it always sounded like a different gun was firing and he'd only stay in one place long enough to either kill some Germans or get off around the ammunition. So if he like kicked in the door to a house, he would like fire some rounds into the ceiling just to cause confusion. Uh, this led the Germans to believe they were under attack from an entire uh, battalion of allied forces which you know it's just one canadian guy they also couldn't locate where the attack was coming from uh leo's misdirection was really effective and confused the germans now the reason he was so effective at making the germans have no idea where he was is because leo had no idea where he was 
he'd never been to the town Azul, which is where he was. So he had no clue where he was. He was just kind of blindly running around. And if he ran into Germans, he'd run into Germans. He did eventually figure out how to navigate based off of a nearby river, but um, he was just kind of blindly shooting around. So what do you think of uh, Leo's offensive by himself so far? That's a video game mission. So I'm straight up like, it feels like he's like in like Metal Gear Solid or some shit. <laughs> yeah. Um. Now he did say if he saw a German running away, he wouldn't shoot them. Um. Now Tyler, why would you think he wouldn't shoot a German if they were running away? I mean, not only could that. I mean, I guess that might give away his position, but also they're not really a threat. Um, so he said he wanted to save ammunition for the ones that were fighting him. And he just like, he, it wasn't mercy. He just was trying to conserve ammunition. That makes sense. Um, now a bit into the battle, the Germans would start surrendering. So he would take, begin taking them, uh, back to the British lines by himself while the battle was still going on 10 at a time. And he did this about 10 times. So he captured about another hundred German soldiers in one night again. And keep in mind, he was like walking by British returning these prisoners, which I imagine there was one guy going, Hey Leo, how you doing? Doing your thing again. All right. See you in a bit. Should we help him? Nah, he's got this. Classic Leo just storming a village and killing every German that he sees, and capturing everybody. Meanwhile, he's just screaming like a pup mad pirate, just like, ah! um, yeah. The Germans still had no idea what what was going on, so he would be, you know keep returning this wool. Um, and eventually the town folk would start waking up into this battle and some of them would even begin helping Leo by giving him a place to rest his eyes for 10 minutes, giving him some food, giving him some water, uh, or tell him like, hey, that's the Gestapo building, their collaborators and that's the SS building. But I kind of like to think of this like this was like, you know, like when there's water tables at the uh, like five Ks and stuff like that or fun yeah. runs. I imagine yeah. the town folk were doing that as he's machine gunning everybody. <laughs> um, I believe it. Yeah. So with the information, he, he broke into the SS headquarters and machine gun every German that was inside of it. He then did the same in the Gestapo building and burned it down. I like the sound of that. <laughs> Yeah, it is really a video game, though. It's like a like a call it like if I told you, if you were playing this in a Call of Duty mission, you'd be like, "This is bullshit. No way anybody would ever do right, this." That's, that's what I'm saying. It's just like this feels like it's it's structured like a campaign mission in Call of Duty. And every time that shit happens in Call of Duty, I'm like, "This is kind of, this is kind of dumb." I mean, like it's fun, but like there's no way this could happen. But here we go. This dude over here. Yeah, just every Call of Duty game is about Leo Majors. Uh, so eventually, in, a bit into killing a ton of Germans and capturing around 100 Germans, he, the, the elite, one of the members of the Dutch resistance in the town, a police officer, approached him and said, hey, uh, what's going on? And Leo was kind of like, oh, I just liberated your town for you. That's not true. There's still some Germans help. So the Dutch resistance did help him drive out the last bit of uh, resistance members. 
in the uh, or not the resistance, the Germans in town, um, which I imagine must have been a crazy thing. Just like, hey, where's the rest of the army? It's me. I'm the army. Um, so eventually the British did come to town, um, but it was long after Leo had taken back the town with the help, uh, the help from the uh, Dutch resistance at the end there. So this would be Leo Major's last big uh, success in World War II. But uh, so like before I move on to his next little information about him, what do you think so far about Leo Major's? I love him. <laughs> yeah, it's he's crazy, right? Yes. This is, like, if I didn't know this was real, I wouldn't believe it was real. <laughs> yeah. Well, wait until you hear about the next guy we'll be talking about tonight. Oh. Um. So, this led to him receiving this can uh, being awarded the con- Distinguished Conduct Medal again. This time, he actually accepted it because you know. The second time, I also want to mention, I forgot to mention, basically the first time his officer wasn't even mad. His officer was like, yeah, I get it, bro. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's fine, I guess. Makes it's sense. like, I made some paperwork for me, but okay. Um, so he did receive it this time. So <laughs> the war's over. Leo's done, right? No. So he became a pipe fitter in, in Canada until he was recruited by the Canadian army to fight in Korea. Oh boy. Korea. And like, when I say he was recruited, I didn't mean he got drafted. I mean, like the Canadian government approached him and said, Hey, you're our secret weapon. We'll let you pick out like 18 guys to take with. It's literally an action movie. He's like, we'll let you pick out your special team of scouts to take to Korea and fight the Chinese. Oh my God. I want to say also when this happened, he was 29. King shit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that is Leo. Ma- so then in Korea, he, he wasn't done being a fucking hero. Um, in Korea, his unit would become under attack and he was ordered to hold the line, but they were beginning to get so overwhelmed by divisions of China, not division, divisions of Chinese soldiers attacking. I, I realize we're talking about Korea and I say Chinese soldier. Uh, to some who don't know, the Chinese were very involved in the Korean War. Like they were like, there were a lot of Chinese soldiers fighting on behalf of the Korean army. So while this was happening, his unit of it, keep in mind, it's just him and 18 guys. They were so effective, though. They held back these divisions and they were calling an artillery strike so close. He almost got killed several times by Canadian artillery and the mortar tubes um, were firing so frequently. They were overheating and beginning to melt from firing so much. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that which is a mortar tube. It's not a machine gun. It's a mortar tube. Right. That's that's not that's not like you don't you don't just like rapid fire mortars you gotta like load them in yep um so this is when he would receive his second distinguished conduct medal which he would have had three all right he would then later go on to serve in iraq and vietnam no i'm joking um (laughs) he died in 2008 and he lived a pretty peaceful life after korea 
but he could have earned three distinguished, which they never gave him the Victorian cross. Cause like, I don't, I guess you have to die to get the Victorian cross. Um, so yeah, that's our first badass of tonight. What do you think of Leo Majors? Badass number one. He needs a, I don't know if there's a movie based off of him, but there needs to be a movie based off of him. I don't think there's like a good, I think there might be like a t- made for TV movie. Like, and I don't think it's in English, but there might be. Um, all right, I'm gonna use my film degree to fix that. Yeah, how many times do you think this man should have died too? By the way, um, at least five. Yeah, I mean it's just like he's insane. Like I, they, sometimes I think like when we get war heroes like this, it's like oh, this wasn't like a insanely brave. This guy was just mentally ill. <laughs> like there was something not right about this man. Oh, there's no way. But right. hey, he was effective. You ready to talk about badass number two? Hell yeah. Now, does the name Joseph Burley mean anything to you? Not particularly. Now, what if I told you he's the only man to have medals from two different countries in World War II and served in two totally different countries' armies but fight for the Allies still? What would you say to that? Sounds believable. Okay, so Joseph Burley, another guy from Massachusetts. Massholes. Oh, actually, no, sorry, not Massachusetts. He, yeah, he was born in Michigan. I messed that up. Uh, would eventually join the uh, Screaming Eagles. He was a paratrooper. Paratroopers were some of the, in this time, paratroopers were very new and were considered to be some of the best soldiers in the war. Now, he was also very... So when you think of paratroopers World War II, you probably think of D-Day, right? Band of brothers parachuting in. He was regularly jumping behind. So he let's talk about him in training. Joseph was considered a bit of a fearless madman. He scored very well on all of his weapons tests, became a demolitions expert, and eventually was was even jumping on behalf of other soldiers because they were afraid to get injured during their practice jumps. So he did well over his expected number of practice jumps before he even saw combat. Because of this, they selected him for special operations when he got over to England. So he was jumping with bars of gold strapped to him to then give these bars of gold to the French resistance. What do you know about the early paratrooper operations to contact the resistance. I don't really know much about any of that. See, like, Let me tell I, you. I know a lot of like events of World War II, but I don't know about like the war side, you know? Yeah. So it's pretty, um, how do I put this? Not very successful. A lot of guys got captured and or killed. Like there were several times where like people just parachuted into foxholes that Germans were sitting in. Or like even parachuted into like a shallow creek and died because they were wearing gold bars or ammunition. So it wasn't great. Sounds awful. So Joseph Burley would do several of these missions and then get snuck back into England and repeat. However, on one faithful mission, he would be captured. Now, this mission was one of those missions before Normandy that was supposed to be a demolitions mission. However, he had lost most of his team during the jump because of the bad conditions that led to most paratroopers being separated on the invasion. And he had also uh, 
only ha- had landed on top of a church. He began trying to find his objective, which was to blow up a bridge. However, he would be captured by the Germans. Oh, yeah. Um, now, when he got to uh, the POW camp, the Germans took his dog tags and uniform, um, giving him like civilian clothes and a prison uniform. And they had also, and it, which was unusual. Usually you don't take soldiers' dog tags and uniforms, but we'll get into that in a second. Um, so he also didn't know a lot of German, but while he was in prison, he learned just enough German to insult his prison guards. Nice. <laughs> so at the same time in the United States, Joseph Burley's uh, girlfriend and family would be told that he was declared dead during the Normandy invasion. Because they had found his body with dog tags and a uniform. Could you guess how this happened? They took them from him. Yeah, so the Germans had this plan to train several Germans who could speak English pretty well um, to sneak behind American lines and cause a bunch of havoc to happen. However, the plan kind of backfired because they didn't have a ton of great English-speaking Germans. So the ones who did were put in like units with guys who couldn't speak German and they were just told don't talk and let the other guys do the talking. A lot of them ended up dead because they just get shot by Germans while trying to sneak behind. Anyway, so this is basically what happened to ever the German who would be declared Joseph Burley died. So good old Joe eventually planned his escape. Now, how do you think he would escape? It's World War II POW camp. This has to be like Steve McQueen jumping a motorcycle over a barbed wire fence, right? Or he dug a tunnel. Yeah, it's very like I, I've heard a lot. I've, I've heard a lot of stories from the POW camps. It's it's rough. Uh, anyway, so Joseph bribed a guard with like a pack of cigarettes, and him and a few other guys walked away. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> you look so disappointed when I said that. Like you were expecting to hear oh, this. I wasn't disappointed. I'm like, you know what? I, I was I was proud of him, but I was like, that sounds a lot better than what I was expecting. Cause I, cause damn, I those those camps are not fun. Yeah, you know that that comes back later in the story. Um, so he was then. Uh, they found out they were actually in East Germany. They weren't in West Germany, and they had accidentally ended up in Berlin. So an American soldier who can barely only speak enough German to essentially call his guards assholes and a few other Americans are now in the middle of Nazi Germany. How are you liking their odds? You know, you ever just end up in Berlin? By <laughs> in the middle of World War II? Yeah. Well, let me tell you, it wouldn't be good for most people. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um... So they kind of like try to get a group, uh, like a family, like, hey, could you help it maybe sneak us out? And the family's like, sure. So they left for a few and then they got the Gestapo. And the Gestapo assumed these guys were spies instead of escaped prisoners. So they were going to execute them on being spies. Now, how do you think Joseph Burley and these other escapees avoided being captured? Smooth talking. Nope. It's the most German way they can avoid being captured. 
Bureaucracy. The Wehrmacht claimed the Gestapo had no right to, to capture these prisoners. Therefore, the Wehrmacht would have to take them. When the Wehrmacht did this, they escaped again. And this time they ran east towards the Soviet Union. Now, once there, they'd find themselves in the Ukraine where um, Joe, they got, they decided to go separate ways to avoid being captured at once because how things went Berlin. So Joe found himself hiding out in a barn and the fa this family agreed to take him in. He just had to hide in the barn. Um, so at one point, a group of so what he thought were Soviet resistance soldiers had showed up. Um, he was about to walk out to say, hey, I'm an American, kill me out. He then saw these soldiers were actually just a group of looters and they had shot and killed the family and stole their stuff. Oh. Yeah. Anything east of Germany was kind of like, it was a 50-50 that you were either in the Soviet Union or you're just a looter. Yeah. yeah. Just... However, eventually the real Soviet army would show up um, and he would end up uh, you know, like this is such a weird part of the story. So, do you remember how we talked about Huey Long was kind of like the reverse, uh, the reverse, uh, what's his name, Forrest Gump? He was kind of Soviet Union Forrest Gump, but American because he came across legendary tank commander Alexandra Sam Samunska. Do you know anything about her? No. Essentially, her husband was a soldier, and so were her father. They both died in the war, so she decided to become a tank commander and was had like fought in like Kursk and all these other legendary battles, and like was a hero. So he approaches their commander, and he says, basically, he just hopes that he he just holds up a, a pack of cigarettes and says two words: "Comrade American." As a Sherman commanded by Alexander Sonenko approaches, and they basically let him up and become part of the Soviet army. The power of a pack of cigs. Yeah, this is like, you know, so yeah, he becomes a part of the Soviet Union, basically based on the fact he knew how to say comrade and American and just like they're like, yeah, he's like, hey, I want to do some Soviet hood rat shit. And they're like, yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah, bring, bring the ciggies with you. <laughs> so he now ended up an American in the Soviet Union operating an American tank because there was a Sherman that she commanded. Now liberating POW camps and concentration camps as they moved into Poland. That's epic. Yeah, right? So he ended up not just liberating random POW camps, but he liberated the same POW camp that he had been held in. <laughs> I, mean, I can only imagine like the guard's face when he just, they just see him roll up and he's like, oh. You know, he was like, remember me, Fritz? <laughs> hey, Johan, remember when you didn't give me my bread ration? Bam. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, he eventually would be a He'd eventually be attacked before the Battle of Berlin, and he'd end up in the hospital. This is when one General Zukov found him and approached him. The General Zukov? Yes, the General Zukov. Oh, boy. Georgi Zukov. 
Um, do you want to explain who Georgie Zukov is or shall I? You can do that. So Georgie Zukov was probably one of the greatest generals of World War II. Like if you say who are the greatest generals of World War II, arguably you could say in this order, it's probably Eisenhower, Georgie Zukov, and maybe Patton. I refuse to give Field Marshal Montgomery any credit in saying he's a great general, and I barely like saying Patton's a good general. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so, essentially what ended up happening is he's like, hey, I'm going to give you a ticket home. Take it. Um, so, he ended up back in the headquarters. He ended up back in the essentially in Moscow, Russia, in the U.S. Embassy, but he was unhappy with the fact he was being sent home. So he just began fighting to the guards that were holding him, who were American soldiers, may I add, because they didn't believe he was Joseph Burley, because according to the United States Army, Joseph Burley was dead. That, yeah, that's a conundrum. <laughs> Yeah, so the Soviet Union said, hey, we found one of your guys. Oh, who is it? It's Joseph Burley. Wait, what? The dead dude? Anyway, so he beats up two of the embassy guards, but then they beat him up and keep him from participating with Battle of Berlin, which probably would have been good for him because he probably would have died. Yeah. Like, even though the Soviets pulled a V on that Battle of Berlin, that could be an episode one day, and boy, was it bloody and brutal. Um, so yeah he'd end up back in america and some of the things to note about when he got back in america he first off he had received the soviet heroes medal i believe he also sorry i need to look at his uh list of achievements here Yes, yeah, so he received uh, medals for serving in both the 506 Parachute Infantry Regiment as part of the 101st Airborne and also received me- medals for being in the 1st Battalion, 1st Guard Tank Brigade. He also, not to say he didn't have a good, his daughter once said that he had a dent in his head that she could place a quarter on and it would fit inside of it from how badly he was beaten inside the POW camps. Oh. Yeah. He is also one of few Americas who would regularly visit the Soviet Union during the Cold War mm-hmm. for Victory Day. I guess those are his, those are his buddies over there. <laughs> yeah, and his son would later become the amb- the US ambassador to Russia in Moscow. Oh, sick. Yeah, so he later would always have a connection. In fact, he's really loved in the Soviet Union. Like, they really like them, some Joseph Burley. Like, there's a whole Soviet museum sections that are just about Joseph Burley. Um, He's not as well-remembered in American history because we don't really like to talk about that time an American fought with the commies. Yeah, we don't... God forbid an American... talks to any sort of uh russian at the time that's that's despicable so what do you think of our second and final badass of this episode I, I i i love both of them that guy's uh mr burley over there yeah i was i was very unfamiliar like i i know a little bit about leo uh leo major i knew nothing about uh burley yeah 
When you're like, I, he's bought for two separate countries. I'm like, oh, I mean, like, I think he's probably like British or something. And I was not expecting him to be like a him fighting with the Soviets. Yeah. Kind of crossover is something that you don't really think about a lot because, like, you know, you you know that America and Soviets are fighting on the same sides, but you also just know them as like mortal enemies. So, like, the idea of them like crossing over, especially because like, uh, the United States is coming in from the west and the Soviets are coming in from the east. I'm about to make a SpongeBob reference, but do you remember the episode <laughs> of SpongeBob where he's trying to get into that place? It's like the like rusty screw or something. It's the that, like salty spittoon. Yeah, it's basically like, and they were doing like the yeah, I eat nails. Super, yeah. Oh, I forgot a very major thing about Joseph Burley. So when he returned, he then had his wedding with his wife at the same church by the same priest who held his funeral. <laughs> I imagine it's like, who are you? I'm Leo Majors. I stormed a town by myself. Who are you? I'm Joseph Burley. I fought for both the Soviet Union and the United States of America. Yeah, so I had my wedding where I was declared dead on top of my grave. Okay, you win. <laughs> yeah, hi, like... Hi, it's me, Joseph the dead guy? Yeah, seriously. So, like... I think these are both like the reason I talk about these guys is because like when we talk about American heroes, it's always like one when we talk about American heroes, it's very rare that we talk about ones that served outside of our army. Um, two, it's rare that we talk about guys who got captured. And three, it's rare that we talk about them working with somebody who'd later become like probably the greatest enemy of America. Yeah. And then Leo Majors, because I really can, Canadian military history is so unknown, even though we kind of directly fought Canada once in the War of 1812. That did happen. Yeah. Thankfully for Canada, we kind of sucked. Water a bit. under the bridge. <laughs> yeah. So who do you think is more badass, Leo Majors or Joseph Burley? Um, I find the story of Burley to be a little bit more believable. <laughs> Uh, Leo Major is literally a Call of Duty campaign <laughs> and honestly the fact that this dude is just like a fictional character IRL I'm like I'm gonna I'm give no disrespect to Burley but I'm gonna give it to Major That's it. that dude is unreal <laughs> yeah it's like how neither of these guys have a movie about them is insane dude I'm, I, we, I, I, I think we gotta rectify that <laughs> yeah and, like, Joseph Burley was one hard motherfucker. Like, he was, like, literally, like, a fucking meme of, like, the dude with a knife and knife in his teeth jumping out of an airplane. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I wanted to do this episode because I needed something uplifting after our Trump talk episode. And I figured these two kind of quick little stories would be a good way to get back in the swing of our normal history talks. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that. Um, yeah, but this is insane. Like... Ah, uh, man. Who would you have play either of these guys in a movie? Hold on. I, 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 gotta, I gotta see their faces. Um... Joseph Burley does not look like the man you're, you think he would look like. He kind of has a baby face. And Leo Majors does kind of look like a badass, like with eye patch and all. Yeah. 
Um, kind of, he looks like the early versions of Nick Fury. <laughs> right, yeah. He does, for sure. Um, who, who would play this dude? I don't know. I'm, I, There's he, nobody in Hollywood. You just have to resurrect him <laughs> with necromancer abilities. Yeah, uh, you're never going to catch me being a casting agent because I'm really bad at that. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. It's to me it's really interesting. Like both of these guys also went to live pretty long lives after uh they got captured. Um or not got captured after they uh ended their war careers. Yeah. So this is gonna be a pretty short episode, but uh let's do our question of the uh or, you know, our question of the week. And this week's question is, Tyler. Yes. If you can have a video game about any historical period, what kind of game would it be and what period is it? Um, a video game about any period? Yeah. I would have said Viking, but we just got a Viking game in Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Um, yeah. That was my old answer, but we just got that. So I'm like, I got to talk that out of the way. I haven't thought about it much. Um. Uh, that's good. Look. I want a Leo Majors via simulator, it's, which I imagine the challenge is moving around because, like, you have testicles the size of minivans. <laughs> like, I don't know how he stuck by the Germans when his balls must have been dragging across the ground. Or, um, you don't like fall out when you're like carrying too much stuff. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it's like. That's these two dudes with their freaky. <laughs> uh, it's first official dick joke of the podcast. Every single thing I'm thinking of is like, nah, Assassin's Creed did it first. I'm like, damn it. I was like, you know, it'd be sick if you did a game of the Crusades. And like, that's I like like a really good Pacific strategy game in World War II. That'd be sick. Like something where you could command aircraft and stuff like that and ships. Yeah, like a turn-based game would be fun for that, but like nobody does turn-based strategy except for XCOM and Civilization. Yeah, I've not played XCOM, but I'm a, I'm a pretty big Civ fan. I'd also like a medieval strategy game that's not Crusader Kings, because I don't have the proper degree in history to play Crusader Kings. That 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 kind of game is so lost on me. Like I barely get Hearts of Iron three and four, I mean, and they dumbed down Hearts of Iron so people could actually understand how to play it. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not huge into that <sighs> game. It just, it just seems like so dense to learn. Like it took me, it the amount of time it took me to learn how to play Civ, and I'm still not very good at it. <laughs> and and Civ seems like a baby game <laughs> yeah in comparison um but honestly uh speaking of civ i'm a big fan of playing shaka, shaka Sha- wait what I, I like shaka zulu yeah and uh there's there's very there's very little african history represented in games like an Assassin's Creed style, like Shaka Zulu game would be pretty cool. That'd be dope. Or one set during the Zulu Zulu rebellion against the British. 
Yeah, that kind of stuff. I'm like, you know, I'll give give me an African game. Yeah. Set in Africa. I would also kind of like a Russo Japanese. Ooh. War. Russo Japanese war is really interesting. <laughs> I really like. I, I I wrote I wrote a paper about the Jap- Russo yeah. Japanese. Yeah, I think we're gonna be doing a series on that. Um, okay. I'm waiting for my class to line up, so I'm writing it while I'm learning about that. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's definitely that's that's pretty soon, actually. Probably. That's pretty what? That's probably pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to people who are wondering why we're talking about this, me and Tyler are both in a Russian history class. Dude. And yeah, I think that's probably gonna be a good opportunity to talk about that. Yeah. Right. So lucky you all. We're just gonna be turning a lot of lesson plans that we have into uh, <laughs> episodes. Good. We're just going to be, like, typing scripts as we're listening to our lectures. <laughs> like, hey, that sounds like... Texting each other the jokes we're going to make as... <laughs> I, I can definitely see a couple more uh, Russian influence episodes in the near future. Just Yeah, and, like, now that this podcast is starting to get some traction, unfortunately, professors are asking me about the podcast. I'm like, well, we just did talk about Leo Major's giant testicles. So, uh, yeah... <laughs> Go ahead, professor. Listen to my podcast. Los Cuentos Grandes. Yeah. But, I'm, uh, like this pod, like we, like also to our Australian listener, hit us up and we will talk about the emo, the emo war with you. Dude, like dead ass, please, please, please. I, I would, I would, I would pray to talk about the emu war with an yeah. Australian. We are actually gonna maybe have a few guests because I'm getting people who I know who are pretty funny, who are like, "Hey, I heard your podcast and want to talk about some stuff with it with you guys." Oh, that'd be um, So that's like, there's, we're starting to move in a better direction with this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds so. Good. Yeah, and uh, again, just because we're kind of killing a little time because this episode was pretty short. Uh, one more, we'll do one more question that uh, this is. And this is, uh, Tyler, if you had to serve for any country, allied, of course, in any branch of World War II, which are you serving in? Man, I really don't want to serve in World War II. <laughs> um, <laughs> see, I would say American. That's just, like, too easy of an answer. Yeah. Um. But I think I'm a, I'm a stick with it. Yeah. Because I think I would too. What branch would you serve in? What branch am I the least likely to die? See, I'm thinking Air Force, and that I think I only choose that, or not even Air Force, Army Air Corps, because all my ancestors who served in it managed to survive. I also realize I'm pretty much the same age as most of my ancestors who were like B-17 pilots, not like crewmen, like pilots. Right. Which is insane to me. That's pretty sick. I don't really know. I don't think I really have any family history with World War Two. Yeah. Um, I know my grandfather was in, was in the Navy in Vietnam. Um, but I don't really know if I have any connection to World War Two. But honestly, Navy doesn't sound that bad. Na- yeah, I feel like the Navy is probably depending on which ocean you like. Just don't serve on a cargo ship. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. As always, the Chaos Legion will stand for us.
um, and our Australian listener, please. And also to any of our listeners who have questions for us or would like to help us find some information or even correct us, please send an email to chaoseffect at gmail.com. That is chaoseffect at gmail.com. Chaoseffecthistory at gmail.com. Chaoseffecthistory at gmail.com. There we go. There we go. I knew I got something wrong. Thank y'all. We love y'all.